0: Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Security Management Highlights. I'm your host, the security guy, Chuck Harold.
1: Increasingly, particularly with, uh, you know, our digital life that we have today, it was was once said that, uh, you know, given the vestiges of social media and such, there really is no distinction between your public and private life. And as a result of that, you know, we see significantly blurry lines around the privacy equation.
0: Mr. Wesley Bowl, CEO of Sentinel Resource Group, LLC, is gonna stop by and speak to us about auditing your executive protection program. Plus.
2: So uh, I'm always worried about the uh, elevation or escalation of security incidents as a result of extreme uh, weather events, of course. During an extreme weather event, good people will become better and bad people will become worse.
0: Mr. Keith McLint, CPP, CHPA, is a member of the ASIS Hospital Security Council, and he's gonna to speak to us today about hurricanes and hospitals. Let's welcome my first guest, Mr. Wesley Bowl, CEO of Sentinel Resource Group, LLC.
1: Great to be with you today, Chuck. Thanks for uh, inviting me to come on and spend some time with
0: you. We're going to talk about something a little different in the executive protection area, auditing your executive protection program because you've worked in the government side of executive protection, the private side of executive protection. Who better to get into the consulting side of it? So Wesley, uh, tell us about this. This is a really interesting topic. So
1: the, the, the predicate to it, Chuck, is that you know a number of corporations nowadays uh, seek to use the IRS uh, tax code to uh, allow the company to write off or write down the costs related to their executive protection program. Notably, one of the core requirements under the IRS code is the responsibility for the company to engage an independent entity to do a threat risk assessment, to substantiate the need for the company to have a program. And so one of the things we were running into particularly during my time as a CSO, uh, with a major global company was recognizing the fact that too many of the EP firms themselves were doing that assessment. And we've found uh, since in the consulting side of the world that uh, that can run into some problems for the company because of the fact that the entity, that in this case being an executive protection provider and we at Central Resource Group do not provide executive protection. We audit and assess programs as one of the many services we offer. We were finding that uh, the independence factor was being basically compromised, or to say it differently, there was a conflict of interest where the executive protection firm, who's providing services, of course, they uh, would may come forward to substantiate yes, indeed, there's a threat profile that substantiates the need. Uh, for the company to engage our services. And so uh, we recognized early on as part of the work we were doing in helping to assess and train executive protection entities uh, and corporations that this was a gap. And so we stepped uh, very quickly into the breach and have done a significant amount of work uh, for both family offices and even uh, major corporations to come in and audit and assess their, not only their uh, need for a program, but the programs they have in place.
0: So I find this very interesting. When I was at the studios, there was always a debate whether the CEO should pay for his own security protection or the company should pick that up. And this went back and forth all the time. And I don't know if it was tied to Sarbanes, actually. I'm not really sure what it was. But tell us about that part of it. Uh, Who is deciding whether you even get the coverage
1: So good question. Uh, Often where the decision lands is within the chief financial officer's office, the CFO's office. Oftentimes the accounting function, the corporate accounting function, sit inside of that. And uh, as a result, they specifically are responsible for evaluating any tax treatments that pertain to the corporation. And that's usually the basis upon which uh, the CFO's office will make an assessment of both the IRS tax code itself and the specific provisioning to allow a company to potentially write down those costs uh, and understand what the parameters are, and then they make a, a determination from there. Uh, and, and I would agree with you, Chuck, that this is an oft, often debated uh, point of uh, contention between uh, the chief financial officer, the uh, board of directors in some cases, and even the executives themselves, Uh, because as you well know, uh, oftentimes uh, the core executive may not have any desire to have any manner of protection on them, but perhaps uh, the board is inferring now, we actually have some concerns, maybe that's because of, uh, you know, some type of public relations issues or some type of directed uh, concerns at the executive and or his or her family, uh, and that causes this analysis to be done.
0: Tell me some of the things you look for. What are some of the key points uh, in an audit?
1: With with respect to the the upfront audit, if we're coming in to do a preliminary assessment, because the audit can take on different forms depending upon the nature of our engagement. uh, On one hand, we might be coming in to specifically assess whether or not this program, uh, uh, the potential for the program to have the IRS treatment applied to it is substantiated by a threat and risk assessment so oftentimes in that case we're coming in and doing very much a garden variety threat and risk assessment uh against the maybe it's the section 16 officers under the SEC guidelines if it's a publicly traded company if it's a privately held company we might be just looking at uh, a core part of the executive team uh that are determined to be the VIPs or or perhaps they really represent the brand or intellectual property of the company uh, and on that basis, we're coming in and looking at it very much in, in what any security professional would recognize as very typical uh, threat and vulnerability and risk assessment on the on the principles involved.
0: Now, from my perspective, I would think that it's almost an obligation of the corporation to provide executive protection to the C-level suite, maybe not just the CEO, but maybe some other C-level guys, regardless of whether there's a specific threat or not, because the actual threat is interruption In the sea level service of any kind would put the company at risk
1: absolutely agreed and so one of the interesting things that we've developed our own intellectual property around at central resource group is to recognize how much corporate culture uh, And this is a topic i've written about extensively and talk about extensively because as peter drucker famously said uh culture each strategy for breakfast uh so we (laughs) we actually spend some time looking very, uh, very much at the corporate culture. And as you're pointing to, you know, there's nuances around what's the culture of the board and their dynamic, uh, which the culture of the C-suite and their dynamic, and then more broadly, what's the security posture and even business posture of the company at large. Uh, and those specific components uh, are very indicative of how successful a program can be meted out. Uh, and so we've developed our own approach to doing a culture audit in the company and understanding what do these components look like, and how do they influence the potential to meet out a security strategy, whether that be an executive protection strategy or even enterprise security risk management strategy. At the end of the day, the culture will be highly determinative of what can be put in place. So we spend a lot of time in areas around the business, understanding the core business, uh, de- developing out. An understanding of the culture of the company and those are major indicators that we use to um ultimately make a determination as to a risk profile and said differently or so or as a subset to that then to what extent can uh, any potential program potentially succeed or fail based upon cultural nuances and then you're having as you recognize a very different discussion with the board and the executive team at that point when you're having discussion about company culture as opposed to coming in with heavy-handed tactics about we need close protection on the CEO. Uh, In many cases, unless there's a a direct targeted threat, uh, that type of discussion from inside the security uh, function does not go very well. Uh, And certainly we've seen uh, security leaders compromise their credibility uh, in in terms of leadership uh, of their program because of not understanding the cultural nuances. So that's something we put a lot of emphasis on.
0: You know, my experience was on one side of it, there was a financial argument. Well, I'm paying you $30 million a year, pay for your own security. But you know what? I don't think that was the main issue. I think the pushback I would get sometimes, and rightfully so, was there's a privacy issue. So if I'm running the studio and I'm running your executive protection team, and probably through a third-party vendor, right, I'm going to mm-hmm. know too much about you. And frankly, in that position, I don't want to know too much about my CEO. I'd rather somebody else handles that, that and knows those privacy things. And so I think that could be a component as well.
1: You're hitting the nail right on the head. The phraseology or the framing that we use around that uh, specifically we call entanglement risk. Uh, and increasingly, particularly with uh, the, you know, our digital life that we have today. I think I, I can't attribute the quote back to someone, but uh, it, was, it was once said that uh, you know, given the vestiges of social media and such, there really is no distinction between your public and private life. Uh, particularly when you're in a leadership position in a major corporation. And as a result of that, you know we see significantly blurry lines around the privacy equation. And that creates some very interesting uh, executive protection challenges, even around fundamentals around things like social media, broadcasting, monitoring, and so forth that might happen between the principal, their family members, and what they're putting out on different social media platforms and what's the level of comfort by the executive protection team or management to, to oversee how to keep the, the person safe. So the, the lines of privacy, uh, without turning this into a, a, a philosophical debate about privacy and what's happened with social media, those lines have blurred so significantly now, Chuck, that uh, this, this is an issue that's not easily resolved in terms of the privacy equation. One can argue that you know, to the extent that someone's traveling with their personal and corporate devices, uh, maybe traveling in tow with family. There's a lot of intertwined risks that happen, particularly in the cyberspace. And, and again, you know, you look at what recently happened with Jeff Bezos uh, with his personal device and the implications back to, you know, trying to mitigate risk from uh, Amazon as an entity. There's a lot of, that was an emblematic circumstance that really brought attention that the game around EP has changed significantly. A lot of EP providers talk about being an EP 2.0 or 3.0, and, and yet they still put out extensive videos about you know shoot and scoot t- tactical training classes and so forth. And I think uh, anyone who's really at the tip of the spear of really truly doing executive protection with emphasis on protection recognizes that things like privacy, like cybersecurity, reputational risk, these are all factors that touch the principal, their family, and ostensibly the the company that uh, that they're engaged by um, in terms of the principal. So, a lot a lot of a lot of moving parts in there, and it's uh, it's an interesting interesting time to be in the security field, just given the blurring lines that are occurring.
0: I agree with you. Probably social media is going to get you before a bad guy with a gun in this day and age. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Mr. Wesley Bowles, CEO of Sentinel Resource Group, involved in the auditing of executive protection programs. Would you come back and talk about this a little more? This is a really uh, in-depth subject.
1: I'd welcome that, Chuck. Always a pleasure to chat with you and I'd uh, welcome the chance to come back and talk more.
0: Great, thanks for coming on City Management Highlights.
1: Thank you again, Chuck, take care.
0: I'd like to welcome our next guest, Mr. Keith McLenn, CPPCHPA. Keith is a member of the ASIS Hospital Security Council. And today we're gonna talk about something that I always wonder about, hurricanes and hospitals. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chuck. We see hurricanes on the news all the time, and you never really hear specifics about hospitals, how they did, what's going on. And, you know, hospitals, especially some of these large ones, are literally cities unto themselves with 50 entrances and all kinds of people coming and going. So tell us about your challenges in this field.
2: Certainly. So I currently work in Houston, Texas, and Houston, of course, is a location that is uh, very familiar with extreme weather events, uh, hurricanes. Uh, From uh, June the 1st to uh, November the 30th is the hurricane season for our area. And uh, healthcare organizations within the greater Houston area, uh, because of our vulnerability to extreme weather events, um, have a preparedness plan. In fact, uh, according to CMS guidelines, um, healthcare organizations should have an all-hazards approach to emergency management. So one of the things that we do uh, to ensure that we're prepared for extreme weather events is that we do a lot of work to prepare ourselves so that we can continue to provide services to the community, even during an extreme weather event. So as a result of knowing when the hurricane season will take place and whether it will end, uh, most healthcare organizations uh, ensure that they have a predetermined plan on how to handle a variety of issues that may result um, during a extreme uh, weather event. So one of the things that um, healthcare organizations in Houston um, are keenly aware of, that they must have supplies on hand. Uh, According to CMS guidelines, healthcare organizations are required to have a minimum of 72 hours of supplies. That means food, uh, fuel for the generators, uh, supplies to sustain themselves uh, independent of community resources for at least three days. So organizations are uh, keenly aware that they must have that on hand and they do a, a very good job in respect to that. Um, in terms of security, um, of, of course, um, healthcare organizations are part of the community. We serve the community on a daily basis. Um, and in fact, during an extreme weather event, uh, that uh, commitment to ensuring that the community is taken care of from a healthcare standpoint um, is um, realized uh, more greater during such an event.
0: Hospitals have to be prepared for victims, but hospitals in that situation can be a victim themselves. This is a very that's very challenging for hospitals.
2: It is. Um, at the end of the day, um, again, healthcare organizations are part of the community. We serve the community every day and taking care of the uh, medical needs of the community. And during a hurricane event, of course, there are uh, uh, issues that are occurring with individuals from a mass casualty standpoint. There are individuals who will be coming to the hospital um, as a result of flooding uh, or hurricane damage to their homes where they can't get to a shelter. They may present to the healthcare organization. And so hospitals have to be uh, prepared to handle the influx of victims from the hurricane event those that are displaced as a result of the hurricane event, as well as ensuring that we are protecting those individuals that are inside our facilities, from our nurses, our doctors, our our volunteers, um, and other patients, uh, to ensure that only people who have legitimate reasons for coming into our facility are actually coming into our facility. So security forces, uh, security leaders, have to ensure that they have a controlled access plan. Uh, there has to be a mechanism in place to ensure that we are checking and validating that people legitimately uh, need to access the healthcare organization during the extreme weather event. Oftentimes, there are individuals, as we learned in other uh, hurricane events uh, in other parts of the country, where individuals who have nefarious intent uh, attempt to enter a healthcare organization um, as a result of people being distracted um, with taking care of the patients and dealing with the influx of visitors and maybe even handling some damage to their property, um, individuals take that opportunity to come in and to steal drugs and uh, steal personal property as well as hospital property, and security forces have to be on point to ensure that they are screening individuals before they enter into the facility um, as well.
0: So tell us about some initial response procedures uh, for the security aspect of a hospital that really help fulfill the health service mission.
2: So one of the things that security leaders do who are in extreme weather areas is that we uh, subscribe to the philosophy of preparedness. Uh, Before hurricane season begins, there has to be plans that are Uh, in place to ensure that we're able, from a security standpoint, to do our jobs. And so one of the things that we do is that we uh, subscribe to a plan of identifying staff members on the security team who will be the quote unquote ride out team. These are the individuals who will work during the hurricane event. They're on duty, they're providing around the clock protection, and we identify those individuals prior to the hurricane season who will be part of this ride out team. And then there's the team that's the prep team or the cleanup team. These are the individuals who do things prior to the hurricane making landfall. Preparing the facility, they're getting things ready. And these are the individuals who, after the hurricane event has passed, will come on duty to relieve the rideout team. So you want to make sure that you have enough resources in the house to deal with any security incident that may occur because you may be isolated for a period of time based on the conditions out in the community. Um, also, security leaders. Um, that are, uh, prudent in terms of ensuring that they are able to provide the level of security that's necessary during an extreme weather event will ensure that they have controlled access plans. Again, at the end of the day, you're gonna have an influx of individuals coming into your facility from a variety of sources. So any entry point into your facility during an extreme weather event, there has to be a controlled access plan, meaning a security officer or police officer who is at the door just making sure that the individuals that are coming in are there for legitimate purpose? People that are coming in for medical treatment are uh, taken uh, immediately to the appropriate place so that they could be treated. Those who are being displaced have been displaced, I should say, because of an extreme weather event putting them in a location so that we can contact city or county resources so that they can come and take those individuals to um, an appropriate shelter location that's been set up. And Of course, um, as being part of the community, we will ensure that we're taking care of those individuals. We're giving them food, water, and supplies that we have on hand to ensure that they're taken care of as well. So we really need to ensure that we are stepping up our our security game, as it were, during an extreme weather event, because there are a lot of unknowns that occur during every hurricane.
0: Now, would it be safe to say that in general, a hospital is staffed up to a point where it can do an initial response for? any number of, of, of emergencies. Would that be a fair statement?
2: That's true. So healthcare organizations, including the security component of a healthcare organization, are appropriately staffed so they can handle a variety of emergencies. And as you can imagine, Chuck, uh, that during the course of a day, there are multiple emergencies that occur in healthcare organizations from medical to facility-related uh, medical, uh, excuse me, emergencies. And uh, healthcare organizations are staffed appropriately to handle those emergencies.
0: So you're the guy in charge of all this. Tell me what your probably number one concern is when an event like this is activated. What what do you really worry about the most?
2: So uh, I'm always worried about the uh, elevation or escalation of security incidents as a result of extreme uh, weather events, of course. Um, uh, You know, during an extreme weather event, good people become better and bad people become worse.
0: Oh, (laughs) good point. uh,
2: And... As a result, again, security leaders uh, have, uh, and myself included are concerned with the safety of individuals within our uh, organization and the protection of personal or organizational property. That is an uh, absolute necessity during an extreme weather event. So that's one of the things that I'm concerned about. And including in that is that, you know, again, ensuring that the people who are in your facilities are coming in for legitimate reasons. So that screening process that I talked about, that controlled access plan is absolutely essential to ensure that you have a safe environment and that you're mitigating security incidents to the best of your ability. So, so also again, um, we're, we're also concerned, especially with uh, facilities, uh, healthcare organization that have what we call off-site locations, uh, that we are using technology if those uh, those uh, locations are typically not staffed or smaller uh, plant clinics, but they were are using technology to manage what's happening. So from cameras and access control and duress, not duress alarms, but uh, intrusion alarms that we're kind of aware of what's happening because again, at the end of the day, we're concerned with those um, those facilities being vandalized or potentially looted uh, during a hurricane event um, as well. So um, keeping an eye on the the facility assets is actually uh, a a necessity as well.
0: My guest for Mr. Keith Glenn, CPPC, HPA, 29 years of leadership in the healthcare industry and member of the ASIS Hospital Security Council. Keith, thanks for coming on Security Management Highlights and uh, look forward to seeing you at GSX.
1: Thank you.